Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off. We started yesterday the new tractate in Kiddushin, the new tractate in the uh, the last uh, tractate in the order of women, and we left off the second line from the bottom on page two. Otherwise, he's questioning the language. He says he's the language. He says drachim uh, three ways a woman is acquired, and that's why it's a woman's. He says in the feminine shalish. And, uh, and then he says three ways in which, um, three ways you check a zav, and there he says in the, in the, uh, in, in, in the masculine, because a zav is more masculine. Here we're talking about a woman, it's feminine. But, and the reason why he chose drachim instead of devarim, which you use in the overwhelming majority of cases, which would have been a masculine, and then he could have used uh, uh, masculine. Hebrew is a language, every word. It depends on the subject, if it's masculine or feminine, it changes. Um, so, so why does he choose derech, unusual? So he explained because the way of a, um, the way of a, it's the way of a man to go after the woman. And, and also the reason, the, by uh, zav, because it's the it's one of the things. It's the way of if a person eats too much, it will it will lead to to, to gonorrhea. But now he's asking what did we learn in the Mishnah? We learned in the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah that esrig esrig is a tree, a fruit that esrig grows in a tree. But nevertheless, it's shavalilam gimel drachim. Three ways it's similar to a tree, and in other ways it's similar to a vegetable. Halachically, when it comes to Arla, the first three years of a f- tree that grows in a fruit, the f- fruits that grow in a tree, you're not allowed to eat those fruits. Those fruits are forever forbidden to eat, to, eat, to benefit from. The fourth year, also, you can't, you're allowed to benefit and eat from those fruits, but you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. You have to take it up to Yerushalayim and only eat it in Yerushalayim. Then from the fifth year, then you can eat it anywhere. So the, the Esrig, if you eat the Esrig, it's like a tree, it grows in a tree, so it has the same laws. These two laws apply. And um, and also a third law regarding regarding the laws of uh, like a tree we follow when the time it starts blossoming. What's considered the first year, the second year, the third year it depends when it starts blossoming. Not like a, a vegetable. A vegetable you don't look at when it starts blossoming or growing, emerging. You look at when you cut it, when you harvest it. Tree is not when you pluck the fruits from the tree, it's the fruits is when it starts blossoming. So these three ways, an estrig is similar to any other fruit tree. So why over there does he say drachim? There you can't say, you can't answer what you answered by zav in the case of a male, a male who has gonorrhea or, or the case of marriage. He should have said dvarim. So the Gemara answers, so over there, Esek Shavalilam, give him the listening to Vadim. Why does he say Drachim? He says, unusual expression of Drachim, paths, ways. Dvarim are things, items. These are the three items. That's the overwhelming majority in cases. Whenever he lists something, he says, these are three things, three items. Why, why, why does he say Drachim, paths, ways? So the Gemara answers, should be in. Let me say the last line on the, on the first page on the second side. Should be in. Masnis Seif. Because in the end of this mission, he says that an esrig is similar to a vegetable in one thing. How is it similar to a vegetable? That like a vegetable, you follow when it's harvested. 
relation regarding the laws of Maisa, the laws of tithing. Besides Truma, you have, have Maisa. Maisa, you have to give 10% to the, to the Levi. And that applies equally to all the years. But then the second, the second 10% that you give, it depends on the year of the cycle of the sabbatical. The first and second year, the second, after you give 10% to the Levi, you have to take this 10% and eat it in Yerushalayim. The fruits are sacred, you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. And the same is true in the fourth and fifth year of the sabbatical year cycle. But the, but the third and sixth year, the second 10%, instead of taking it and eating Yerushalayim, you have to give it to the poor people. Poor people. So a tree, how do I know which is the first year or the second year? It depends when it starts blossoming. The year that it starts blossoming, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter when you actually pluck it. It's when it starts blossoming, then it's considered the first year, the second year, the third year, fourth year, fifth year. But when it comes to vegetables, you look at when it's harvested, whenever I harvest it, whenever I cut it, that's it. But which year I cut it, that's the miser you have to give. Either take it to Yerushalayim or give it to the poor person. So in this sense, in this case, an uh, uh, estric tree, the estric, the fruit, the estric that grows in the tree is like, it's not like a regular fruit that grows in the tree, it's like a uh, vegetable. That when you pluck it, that's how you, that's what determines what do you do with those fruits, depending on the year that you pluck it. You said the first four years you don't do anything. No, first, no, either, either, all six years, besides the first 10% that you give, after you give the truma and you take the bikurim, first 10% you give to the levy, that's all years, but then you have to take another 10%. You end up giving 20% of your field, more than 20%. So the other 10%, what do you do? So it depends. The first and second and third and fourth and fifth year you give, you have to take it and eat it in your shalim. You keep it, but you have to eat it in your shalim. It's sacred. But the third and sixth year, the second 10%, you have to give to the poor. You have to give to, they don't have to eat in your shalim, they give it to the poor. So it, when it comes to the asterisk, it depends. When I pluck the asterisk, if I plucked it in the third year, after Rosh Hashanah of the third year of the sabbatical cycle, then I give it to the poor people. If it's the first and second year, then I give it to... I take, take it and eat it in Yerushalayim. So since he has to learn the end, the conclusion of the mission, and in three ways, the asterisk is like any other fruit tree. On the other hand, on one, in one way, it's similar to a vegetable, so that's why he uses derech. So the Gemara says, Sefer Namen Nisnidavar there also. Why does he have to use derech? A way. In one way, it's similar to the uh, vegetable. Should have said, in one item, it's similar. In one what answers we continue on 3a how some over there commercial is coming to teach me why the the reason why halachically it's similar to a vegetable even though it's a fruit it's a tree grows in a tree why is it a vegetable so it should follow all other fruits follow when the time that it blossoms if it starts blossoming on the second year even though I cut it I harvested I cut it in the third year it should be obligated to take it to Yerushalayim. I shouldn't give it to the poor. It's not a vegetable. And yet we treat it like a vegetable. So he's explaining why. Because darka, this is the way. The way of an of a esric tree is similar to a vegetable. A vegetable needs a lot of, it's very thirsty. It needs a lot of water. Rain is not enough. So too, most trees, rain is enough. You don't need anything else. But an esric tree is very thirsty. It needs a lot of water, just like a vegetable. That's why we treat it halachically like a vegetable. You follow the harvest to determine which year it is, the year that it's harvested in, and that's the maizah that you give, based on that year. 
And that's why when you harvest it, that's when you give the maize. What determines the maize that you give, what determines is when you pluck it. Okay. Now the Gemara continues. We learn in Bechayim. We learn. We learn the Mishnah. Koi, koi is an animal. It's a mixture. A mixture between uh, uh, comes from a. It's a mixture of a, uh, a goat and uh, and uh, a tzivia. Yeah, yeah, a goat and a deer. So it's so we have a doubt. We're not sure what does it consider like. One one parent is a is a is a behemoth, domesticated animal. The other one is a deer, is a wild kosher animal. Correct. So what do we treat it at? Do we treat it like a behemoth? Treat it like a chaya? And there's a difference halachically. So that's what the Mishnah says. Yeshbe derachim shabal lechaya. There are ways in which it's similar, similar to a chaya. But just like a chaya, when you slaughter the animal, you have to cover its blood. A behemoth, you don't have to. If you slaughter a goat, a sheep, or a, or a bull, or, or a cow, you don't have to cover the. But if you slaughter the seven kosher wild animals, like a deer. Or, or, or then you are obligated to uh, to cover the blood. So here also, when in doubt, we don't know what the status is. We consider like a beimazon chaya. So in in some ways, we treat it like a chaya that way you have to cover the blood. Also, and um, and in other ways, In other ways, we treat it like a behema, like a domesticated. Kosher animal, that you're not allowed to eat the fat, certain fats of a behemoth, you're not allowed to eat. Like you drink, drink blood, your life gets cut off. It's prohibited. A chaya, the seven kosher chayas, you are allowed to eat the fat. And also, you have to give the gifts to the koyan. You have to give the 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 the, le- the, the front uh, the hand the front leg. So when you have a mixture of a of a goat and a deer, yeah, you treat it as a kosher. Both, you treat it, no, it is kosher, hundred percent kosher. But you treat it, you don't know if it's a status of, a, of a behemoth or a chayas. Right, so you correct. treat it both, both well, all all the strictness. I mean, as, as kosher. Yeah, yeah, it's hundred percent kosher. Right. There's no question. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that it's kosher. The question is halacha. Different halachas. Behem is different halachas applies to chaya. Hard to find because it's hard to capture. Correct. Unless you you grow them in a pen and you pen them in. That's how it did. Because you gonna if you shoot them then you, you can, there's not kosher anymore. So and we treat them. Yes, bedurachim and there are ways. Shavu lechaya like any other kosher animal. They both have to be slaughtered. They both contaminate. If in the vela, if they're a carcass, they're not slaughtered properly. Then the the carcass contaminate. Then there are ways that they're like neither. Meaning, you're not allowed to breed them. You're not allowed to breed them either with a chay or with a behem. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's not it's not like a chaya. We don't treat it like a chaya. We don't treat it like a behem. So the question is, why does it say derachim? This nidavadim. We just say items, like in the overwhelming majority of cases. Why did it say path? These are the ways and paths similar to behem, not similar to behem, similar to a chaya, similar to both, similar to neither. The soon 
Other now we also learned the Mishnah. We just learned in the last tractate in Gittin that if someone brings a get, a bill of divorce from overseas, he has to say the the uh, the agent has to testify that it was written and signed in front of me. And the Mishnah says, "Oh, these are one of the ways and the paths in which a bill of divorce is similar to a bill of emancipation from a Canaanite, a non-Jewish servant. So over there also, these are the items. Why, why does he say Drachim, paths? It's an unusual choice. Ella, rather, call So rather, we have to revise our previous answer. We have to find a common denominator when the Mishnah chooses Dvarim, as in the overwhelming majority of cases, and when he changes it and says paths, ways. So what's the difference? Call it, look the web, or there's, and there, there, he's trying to differentiate. He says some things like this and something like that, paths. In other words, there are different ways, different paths. But if he's not coming to make distinctions, whoever he's coming to make distinctions, he says paths. There are paths that lead you this way, and there are paths that lead you this way. But whenever he's not coming to make distinctions, then he says items. So therefore, since our Mishnah, it says a woman is acquired through money or with a document or with intimacy, but not through chuppah, that's why he says to exclude that it's only these ways. These are, he's making distinctions. These three are not a chuppah. You can't make a kedushin with a chuppah. Or chalifin. If it's not money, it's just a, I'll exchange, an exchange. I'll give you a handkerchief in, the, in exchange for you. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yes, when it comes to financial matters, it does work, but not when it comes to acquiring a wife. And also, by Zav, the mission is coming to say that only these three things, these three ways do we check. But not any other, if there's any external factors that have caused, triggered the gonorrhea, then he's not Tomei. But any, anything other than these seven, then we don't attribute it to external trigger. Then we say that, that he is Tomei, he is impure. And also by a woman and a, a bill of a divorce and a bill of emancipation. That he's saying only in these ways are they similar to each other. But not... <coughs> If he says, give a get to my wife, he can take it back. He can, he can uh, retract it. Until she gets the get, he can retract it. Because she doesn't want to get a get. It's detrimental to her. So if he forces it and puts it in her hand, and it's too late. But until he puts it in his hand, it's not a get. So he, the husband can retract it. But in the case of, of a bill of emancipation, the moment he gives it to the agent, the agent now acquires it for, for, for the servant. Because it's, it's, it's a, his, his benefit that he's free. He would rather be free than be a slave. So the moment he can become his agent, even without his knowledge, for his benefit. So then it's too late. He can't retract it. It's done already. The deed is done. He's already emancipated. There's no going back. So he's, that's why he says he's being clear. Only in these ways, in these paths, he's trying to make distinctions. In these paths and not other paths. And also by Esther, the mission is saying, making distinctions in some ways. In some ways, the, the estric fruit is like a tree. In other ways, we treat it like a vegetable. And also by koi, the mission is making distinctions. In some ways, we treat this hybrid of an animal, we treat it like a behemoth. Some ways, we treat it like a chaya. Some ways, we treat it like both. Some ways, we treat it like neither. And a proof for this, Dekanami, I also prove to you this is correct. The Tani Sefer, because it says, by estric, at the end of the mission, Rabbi Lezer 
Rabbelezer argues, and he says, There he changes. Rabbelezer argues and says that an Essig is treated like any other fruit tree, and this is absolutely like, a, like there's absolutely no difference. We never treat it like a vegetable. He changes the language. He says, he doesn't say, Esrig is equal to a fruit tree l'chol derech in all ways. No, l'chol daver in all items. Because if there's no distinctions, you use daver. When you make distinctions, that's why you use paths, the different roads. One road goes here, one road goes there. Shmamina, it's a clear proof. Okay. Now the Gemara says, Why does he have to start out the Mishnah? There are three ways. A woman is acquired as a wife. Not he acquires it, the husband doesn't own his wife. We don't even own ourselves. We don't own our wives. We don't own our children. It's not acquire like I'm buying a book, it becomes mine. It acquires that it, it, it makes a transition in their status. That her status is acquired as a wife. And now she's committed to me 100%. And she's prohibited to the rest of the world. Exclusivity. And that's acquired, yeah. He's committed. It's a two-way street. And that's, and that's through, through either he gives three ways. Either through, he gives her something of value, money, or something equivalent of value. Custom today we do a ring, and that's what we always use. Or it could be with a document, or it could be with intimacy. So why does he have to list three ways? I can count. Money is one. Document is two, and intimacy is three. So I know myself it's three. Why do you have to spell it out? It's three ways. So he's coming to exclude something. And then the Mishnah concludes, and she acquires herself. Her status as a free, independent woman. Now she's no longer committed to anyone. She can marry anyone, either with the bill of divorce, or if the husband dies. So again, why does he have to say? He should just list how, and I'll know it's two things. Why does he have to tell me? Three and two. I can see it's three and two. So you're coming to you're coming to exclude something. What's it coming to exclude? So he says, The counting in the beginning is coming to exclude chupa. Because chupa, if you make a chupa, does not make a kiddush. Chupa concludes the marriage when it's like taking her into his house. That's the second stage of marriage. Now they're living as husband and wife. But the betrothal doesn't happen through a chupa. So that's why these three items and not chuppah. According to Rav opinion, he's the only opinion, no one holds like Rav But according to Rav holds that a chuppah is not only good to, 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 to begin the second stage of marriage, the chuppah is also good for the first stage of marriage, to affect the kiddush and the betrothal. If a chuppah could make you fully married, you can live together with each other, how much more so it can affect the first stage of marriage? Like, in other words, he's making the chuppah for the sake of kiddush. There was no kiddushin before, there was no betrothal before, there was no money handed over, there was no document, no intimacy, just the father is giving the daughter to the chuppah, to the husband, and putting in the chuppah as, as kiddushin. Ravuna says... That, that, that it's affected. So what's the three coming to exclude? It comes to exclude Khalifin. Khalifin is one way of acquiring something. It's an exchange, a barter. I give you something, and in exchange, you give me something. Barter. That's how they, that's how they did business in the olden days. Everything was barter. Not money. And barter doesn't even have to be something of something that's value. It's, it's not even a question of value. 
you, you give me a handkerchief. Maybe I want a handkerchief. Maybe I need a handkerchief. And, and, and I'm giving you a million dollars in, in exchange. <laughs> Something that's worth a million dollars. doesn't matter. It's a good deal. It, it's a good, it's a valid exchange. So it works in commerce, but it doesn't work by, by marriage. If you give a khalifin, if you give something, it's less than a pruta, less than a... I give you a... Um, the husband gives the wife his... Uh, his... Uh, handkerchief. And it's, it's less than a pruta, it's less than a penny. It says here, in exchange, you become my wife. It's not... It's not not, it's not a marriage. It doesn't work. So he says, so he says, I would think, why would I think that, a, why does the mission have to exclude, why would I even think it's good? This is commercial. I'm buying something. What, I'm buying my wife. I own my wife. Like I'm buying, I'm buying a potato here. What, what, what do you mean? Why would I even think that a khalifan should work, a barter should work? Because I would think... Where do we learn? We learned yesterday. Where do you learn that you can acquire a wife by through money? What's the connection? It's not a commercial transaction. But we learn it out. It says, I take my wife, which is acquisition. We learn when Avram bought the cave of Machpelah from Ephraim. So, so I would think, if I can make a barter and buy a field, I could also make this transition of her status. To a married woman, also through an exchange. So Kamash Malon, I can't. Sigmar says, why? Maybe yes. Why not? It's a good if you learn it out that you can acquire a wife, you can make this transition of her status through money. And I learn it out from, from acquiring the field when Avram acquired the field of Machpelah. Why, why can't I, so whatever works there should work here? What difference does it make? If money is good, and a barter and exchange should also be good. Why not? Because a khalifin, it doesn't matter. When you do a barter, it doesn't matter the value. It could be something that has no value. My handkerchief. Who's interested in my handkerchief? <laughs> it's less than a penny. No one is buying it. No one is paying. It has zero value. But I'm giving it to her in exchange. Barter, as barter, it works. The issue of Pachas Rabbi Pruta lay. We continue on side B. Let me see you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. But a woman less less than a Shabbat Pruta is not is not going to is not going to commit less than a penny. Is not going to commit. It's it's an embarrassment. You want me to make this change in my life? For your handkerchief? That no one would even pay a penny for? I mean, are you kidding me? So therefore, she doesn't agree. She doesn't accept it. That's why it's not acceptable. And therefore, since barter doesn't work, even if it was even with something expensive, I'm bartering you, I'll give you a painting, it's worth $100 million. If you give it to her as barter, not as... Not as I'm giving it to you as, as money. It's just a barter in exchange. Barter doesn't work. Because if barter works, it works in all cases. So, so obviously, since barter, the Torah cannot come to tell me that whatever works by, by in, in commerce works. The same way I acquire a field, every, every way I can acquire a field, that same way applies to Kiddush, to marriage. 
Because if that's the case, then it will include barter also. Barter less than a penny doesn't work. So therefore, the Torah is not talking about barter. It's talking about value, money. Money is, has value. I'm giving it to you. I'm paying you. So therefore, that's the only thing that works. Barter doesn't work at all, even if it's something very expensive. Kaisvah says that because it says over there, Kesef, that Avram bought the field, the cave of Machpelah from Ephraim, he bought it. It was a business transaction. It was acquired with Kesef, with money. So therefore, therefore, it comes to exclude any transaction that's not with money. Even though a field in general could be acquired by barter. But since the Torah, the place we learn out over there, they used Kesev, so there only Kesev, only money works and not barter. Okay. What is the, uh, the counting at the end of the mission? Uh, she acquires herself in two ways. Why does he have to tell me? I can see myself. He lists two, two, two ways. Comes to exclude Khalid. That, that if he makes a chalitz, it doesn't work. I mean, I would think, that you can learn it a priori from a yavama. A yavama, sheni yaitza beget. Yesav a chalitz, a yavama. The surviving, the, the widow. Her husband died childless. And there's a surviving brother. So the widow now is committed. She must marry. And she must be intimate with the, and, and become the wife, continue the marriage. By living with the brother, being intimate with the brother and becoming her, his full-fledged wife. But if the brother doesn't want to, she doesn't want to, so give a chalit. Takes off, she takes off the shoe of the surviving brother. But a get won't work. He can't give her, the surviving brother can't give her a bill of divorce. Only two options. Either he marries her, he's intimate with her, she becomes... His full-fledged wife, and she continues the marriage, or he gives her a chalitza. She takes off her shoes. The whole ceremony. So, so if over there where get doesn't work, chalitza works. In a case of a regular husband and wife, where a get does work is effective, surely a chalitza should work. So maybe she can be free. She can dissolve the marriage by by taking off her shoes. <laughs> I, I no longer no longer do the whole ceremony. I no longer want to be your wife. And maybe it should be effective. So that's what he's coming to tell me. No, the only two ways, the only two paths she can become free and independent again is if the husband dies or if he gives her a bill of divorce. Maybe yes, it's a good kavuchaymer. It's one of the 13 ways we, we derive things from the Torah. It's even though the Torah doesn't say that's an option, but we should learn it out from a kavuchaymer. So he might answer Zamakrat, says in the Pasuk, Sefer Kirisus. Taita says that it is a Sefer Kirisus. He, he writes a bill that cuts, cuts her off. A bill of the war. Sefer Kirisus. Sefer Kirisus. The only option is, the only thing that cuts off the marriage is only a bill of divorce, not Chalitza. He's telling us that this is the only option. Mishnah said, because, uh, you can make a kiddushin betrothal with money. Minali, where do we know this? What's the source? What's the source that a woman could be acquired with money? Here, this is the main discussion. Yes, we brought it yesterday, we learned yesterday, but here is the main discussion.
And yesterday was just brought, was just uh, quoted. Quoted why the Mishnah used the language, Yisha Nikness, a woman is acquired, instead of saying Yisha Nikdeshes, a woman is betrothed. That's why he quoted from this discussion here. But here's the main discussion. What's the source? Where does it say in the Torah that a woman could be betrothed and be considered a full-fledged wife and, and if she commits adultery as a capital punishment? Where does it say you acquire a wife and money? Vesu and also Aditnan, we learned in the Mishnah, we learned in Subas. Havzak, I bebite, the father. As long as she's under the age, she's under the age of 12 and a half. The father is Zakebikidusha. The father has the right to betroth her, and he acquires the money, Bekesev, Bishtarubia. And he can betroth her either by accepting money from the husband or Bishtar, accepting a document from the husband or Bibiya. Or by the husband being intimate with his daughter. To me, no, and how do we know that the daughter could be acquired with money and that they have money and she's considered betrothed and that the money belongs to the father? It says, by a Jewish, a Jewish maid, a Jewish maid who was. Give, sold into slavery, Jewish slavery, Jewish maid. She becomes like a help in the house. The father, it's only an extreme case. The father simply can't feed his daughter. Doesn't have a penny to his name. He can't even put a, give her a slice of bread. She's going to die. So he, he sells her as a, as a Jewish maid to a wealthy Jew who can take care of her and provide for her. Take care of her. And there, the first mitzvah is that actually either the master or the son should marry her. The money that he pays for her becomes the money for the marriage. If he doesn't want to marry her, son doesn't want to marry her, then that's the first thing you try to do. Then, then when she becomes 12 years old, she reaches bas mitzvah. She becomes bas mitzvah, she reaches maturity, puberty, she's free. The moment she reaches puberty. So it says, if she goes out free, she doesn't have to redeem herself, she's free. She doesn't have to give any money. The question is, it's a redundant. So it says, if she goes out free, she doesn't have to pay to redeem herself. Why does he have to add without money? It's free. Free means without money. Every word in the Torah is precise. So what does it come to teach me? So it comes to teach me. The Torah is telling us, This master doesn't get any money. She doesn't have to redeem herself. He doesn't get any money. She's automatically free. But there is money for a different master. Who's the other master of this young girl? The father. So the father does get money. That if he betrothes her, even after she reaches puberty, until for the next six months, until she reaches 12 and a half, he does get money. Money you have. There is money. So, and there is money. That, that, so the mother says, doesn't say in the past, so yes, there is money, but how do I know that it goes to the father? 
maybe the money goes to her. We, you said that it comes to teach there is no money for this master, but there is money for a different master. Why? Why do you learn that? It doesn't say, Ein If it were the Torah, it would have said, Ein He doesn't get any money. Then it's clearly referring to the master. The master doesn't get any money. She goes free. She doesn't have to redeem herself. But there is money for a different master. That would be the father. It doesn't say that. It says there is no money. That she goes free without money. He doesn't mention a word about the master. So maybe he's saying there is no money in this case when she becomes 12 years old. But there is money in, even though she's 12 years old, there's still money that if she's betrothed, you can be betrothed through money. But it doesn't go to the, her master, her father. It goes to herself. So you do learn from there that Kiddushin could be, she could be acquired, she could be betrothed through money. That, yes. But how do I know it goes to the father? Maybe she should get the money. You know, yes, the father has a right till the age of 12. Once she reaches 12, she's free. She's on her own. She's independent. She's a mature woman. She's, on the, she's, she's independent. She's totally independent. So there is money. She could be betrothed with money. That I do learn from this passage. But how do I know it goes to the father? Maybe she keeps the money. Says How could you say that? It says clearly that the husband, the father, is the one who betrothes her. It says it's He says clearly in the pasuk, he declares that I have given my daughter as as a wife when um, when he when the husband. And then the husband accuses her of. The husband accuses her. And accuses her of being an adulteress that she committed adultery. After the betrothal, and the, the father testifies on her behalf. And the father says, I gave my daughter to Isha Zen. It's talking about from the age of 12 to 12 and a half. She's already a mature adult, she reached puberty. And nevertheless, the Torah clearly says, I gave my daughter, the husband, the father's right, prerogative to give his daughter's hand in marriage, even, even against the will. It's, her, it's his choice, not her choice. So it makes no sense. He betrothed her and she gets the money. If he has the power to betroth her, even against the choice, surely he gets the money. The money comes to him. Therefore we learn, therefore we have to say, when the, the Pasuk says, there is no money. She goes free. In Kesef, there is no money for this master. But there is money for a different master. When the father betrothed her, he gets the money. So we learn both things from this puzzle. She could be betrothed with money. You can change her status to a married, married woman. And that the father gets the money. So the Gemara asks, Maybe this is only true in the case when she's a minor, before she reaches puberty. Because she can't. She can't be betrothed on her own. She's a minor. A minor can't be betrothed. Only the father has the power to betroth her. I will not, but a knight who could, she could be betrothed on her own. Let's say she has no father. Let's say she's an orphan. So then she's allowed to be betrothed biblically because she's an independent woman. She's mature. She's reaches puberty. So maybe in that case, maybe in that case, she herself receives the Kiddushin and she herself receives the money. 
Gemara answers. Amakra, the Pasik says. It says, by the laws of nullifying her oaths, a woman, if a daughter makes an oath, a woman makes an oath, she's betrothed. So the father and the husband could nullify her oath. It says, Binurea Besavia. Binurea means that she reaches pu- puberty. She already reached maturity. It's coming to teach us that any benefit that happens while she is a Naira, which is from the age of 12, once she reaches puberty to the age of 12 and a half, all goes to the father, including the money of the Kiddush. So it's beating the Satilisha as maybe it's referring to that the father gave her hand in marriage while she was a minor. Gave her hand in marriage, she was a minor, she is betrothed, and then she reached puberty. And then the husband uh, argue, claimed that she committed adultery. Fine. But maybe the power that he has to betroth her is only when she's a minor. So that's what he says. The Taita says clearly, in the case of nullifying the vows, that anything, anything while she's a naira, all the benefit that she gets while she's a naira in that age, between puberty 12 and 12 and a half, all that belongs to the father. What about what It says when a father will sell his daughter as a, as a slave, a Jewish slave. So the question is, the Amma is an extra word? Says, of course, he sells his daughter. What else is he selling her for? It's not sex slavery. He's selling her, selling her as a, as a maid. So he's coming to teach us that the daughter is like a maid. Just like an umma. Everything that she does. All the work that she does. All that benefit goes to her master. Because he's a maid. Avbasnami, also a daughter. Everything, all the benefit of her work belongs to her father. So the question is, why do I need this Pasuk to teach me? I already know this from the Pasuk. By nullifying the vows, it says any benefit that uh, accrues to the Naira till the age of 12 and a half belongs to the father. So why does it have to teach it to me again? And teach me uh, that her daughter is like a maid. Ella, rather... The reason why I can't learn it out from nullifying the vows because there is talking strictly about nullifying the vows. It's just coming to teach me that the father has the power to nullify your vows till the age of 12 and a half and nothing more. Not that all the benefits, any benefit uh, accrues to the father. So over here, so how do I know how do I know that also the money of the betrothal goes to the father? So we go back to the original question. How do we know that the father receives the kiddushin? Maybe the father only has the power to betroth his daughter when she's a minor. There's a question with Miles on your 
Not when she's uh, when she's uh, when, when she reaches puberty. When the Torah says she goes free and there's no money. It doesn't it's not to teach me that in this case she goes there is no money, but in the, for this master, but there is money for a different master. No, it means there is no money. Period. She goes free, but, but there is money. If she is betrothed, then there's money. It goes to her. Because only she has the power to marry herself off. Once she reaches puberty, she's independent. The father no longer has any jurisdiction of her. And if you're going to want to say, Nelef Minei, why don't we learn? We can learn from that, from it itself. The fact that the Torah gives the father the privilege of nullifying her vows, doesn't that teach me that she's still under the jurisdiction of the father? So logically, she should be, everything should go to the father. You can't say that. Why? Because I can't learn financial matters from, from prohibitions. Yeah, she's under the father's jurisdiction when it comes to prohibitions, when it comes to vows, nullifying vows. But how do I know financial matters that she's not independent and free? She, has a, she can have her own bank account. She can make decisions for herself. It's her own life, her own marriage. Why should the father have any say? If you want to say we can learn it out from the case of a penalty if a woman is raped or she was seduced so you have to pay the seducer and the rapist has to pay the father 50 silver coins so since the Torah says that the penalty this is a financial thing it's money who gets the money the father so we should learn from there that the same is true with the money that comes from the Kiddushin also should go to the Father. You can't say that. Why? Again, you can't learn penalties. Penalties are penalties. Penalties is not financial. It's like the Torah says, it's a, it's a prohibition. The Torah gives a penalty. Yes, prohibitions, she's under the jurisdiction of the Father. So the Father makes sense. The Father gets the penalty, the money. But when it comes to financial matters, transactions, she's independent. Why should she be under the jurisdiction of the Father? If you want to say, we could, we could learn it out from the payments and additional to the knas, to the penalty when you rape or seduce uh, a woman, in addition to the penalties, is also financial damage you have to pay. The shame, the begam, that uh, she diminishes in value. And that, who do you pay that to? It's not the penalty, it's, it's financial, financial damage. And you give that to the father. So we see she's entirely and completely under the jurisdiction of the father. Even when it comes to financial matters. So therefore, the money of the Kiddushin goes to the father. You can't say that. Why? Because the, the father, the damage also affects the father. He's also damaged. He's saying like this. Why why do we say that the father gets the uh, money that for the shame that, he sh- that the rapist or the seducer shamed the daughter or caused her value in the marketplace went down? Why should it belong to the father? Because since the father has the right to marry whoever he wants against the will. So if there's a billionaire and he's ugly and horrible and he's sickly, 
The father can marry her off. So he has the power to shame her. He has the power to, to, to you know, cause her to be defective, you know, by being a wife of, a, of this, this very decrepit person. So therefore, therefore, that damage really belongs to the father, not the, because it was his prerogative his prerogative who to marry or off to he can marry off whoever he wants so that loss that shame and that loss is really the father's loss the question is here we're discussing that maybe the father has no jurisdiction over her after she reaches puberty she gets to decide who to marry not to him so therefore the law should be entirely hers the, the shame and the pagam but, but what if a case where he marries her off and she's a minor? He has the power to marry off. says clearly, I gave my daughter a marriage. So the father makes a declaration, I gave my daughter's hand a marriage. And say, okay, that's talking about, I gave my daughter's hand a marriage while she was a minor. She can't marry herself off. Only the father can marry her off at that time. Fine. But then, this... And then she was seduced. Well, when was she seduced or raped? When she became already, uh, she was betrothed by her father. And she was a minor, and she's still in the status of being betrothed. And then she was raped, or um, she was raped as a, as a single. She was raped as a, as a, as a, as, a, as a neither when she already reached puberty. But since the father has the, had the power when she was young. He had the power to marry her off to someone who's ugly and disgusting. So therefore that law and that would have damaged her even later on in life. She would never recover from that. So it's in his hands. He has a prerogative to take away her value. It's, her value is in his hands. He can marry her off and she's a minor. the most ugliest person in town. The most disgusting person in town. And then she's damaged goods. No one would ever touch her again. So, so that loss is not her loss. It's her father's loss because it's up to him. I can marry you to the best person in town. I can marry you to the worst person in town. It's my prerogative as, as a minor. But, then, but that loss will stay with you for the rest of your life. You'll lose all value. So since her value, even as a, an adult, is dependent on the father's actions when she's a minor, that's why the Torah says that the money goes to the father. It's his loss. It's his loss. Then why don't you say the same that even if she's uh, single and she's raped or seduced even after she reaches 12 and a half maybe it should also also to go to the father then, then it doesn't. The, the shame and the defect goes to the goes to the, uh, the woman who was raped or seduced. Yeah, but there we do learn from nullifying a vow. Clearly the Torah only gives the power any jurisdiction only till 12 and a half. After 12 and a half, she's totally, totally on her own. So that's across the board in all areas. She's on her own. Even, even though there's effects of what he does when she's a minor, it can linger for life. It's over. The father, we cut the umbilical cord, the father is out of the picture, any money is totally hers. But at least until she's 12 and a half, when she's a night between the age of puberty till the next six months, 12 and a half, all that benefit should belong, should belong to the father. 
That's what he's saying. Shiny Therefore, those benefits belong to the father. So you can't learn from there that the money from the Kiddushin, that the father has the prerogative jurisdiction to marry off his daughter once she reaches puberty, and that the money belongs to the father. So where do we know this from? So Ella rather the Gemara says, Mistabra. It's logical, it makes sense. When the Torah says there is no money in this case, but there is money in a different case, different scenario, we continue on 4a, Yetzia the Kavasa He's, the Torah is excluding something similar. Just like here you're leaving a master. She's leaving her master. She's a maiden. And she's leaving her master once she reaches puberty and she goes free. And the Torah says, Ain't there is no money in this case, there's money in a different case. It's the equivalent. There's money in a different case, but there's another master, which is the father. He is the master of his daughter. So we see clearly he has the prerogative to marry her off and he has the prerogative to keep the money. So the mother asks, but you can't compare the two. He says he le- she leaves her master, and now she goes out to a different master. But but it's not a comparison. It's not apples <laughs> to apples. Because awesome over there, nafkilo There she's totally free from. From the master, she's totally free from her master. But here, she's still. So you're comparing that, just like over there, over there, when she goes out from her master, there is no money. She goes out free. Master doesn't get a dime. But when she goes out from this master, which master? Her father. Here there is money. And the money goes to the master. She has to pay the, the money of the Kiddushan goes to the master. question is, she's not going out of a master. She's still under her father's jurisdiction. Even after he betrothes her, until she goes to the chuppah, until the, she, the marriage is consummated, until it's full-fledged marriage, the father gets the, the benefit of her handiwork. If she dies, the father inherits her. So she, she never left that master. So it's not, it's, you can't, so that's not what the, the Torah can't be meaning, can't be referring to when she leaves the master. Here she leaves the master, there is no money. But in this case, when she leaves her master, she leaves her father, when she's betrothed, there is money. She's not leaving her father. So the, obviously the Torah can't be talking about that. The Torah can't be referring to that. She, but in another case, in another scenario where she leaves her master or other master, there, there is money can't be referring to marriage because the betrothal because she's not leaving her master with the betrothal she's still under her father's jurisdiction even until she goes to the chuppah but now the, but now the betrothed husband has rights no rights he doesn't inherit her he doesn't he has no rights he, he, he doesn't get the benefit of her work it goes all to the father he only has a right to, together with the father to nullify her because it affects a marriage and to nullify a vow that's it that's it Sigimada said, that's what he says. When it comes to nullifying the vow, she leaves her father. Now we learn, we learn in the daughter, until now the father had the sole jurisdiction to nullify a vow. Now he gets to share it with the husband. So in that sense, she's leaving her master. It's a little leaving. It's not full, full fledged jurisdiction over her. Now the jurisdiction is shared between 
the father and the husband. To be continued, have one, have a wonderful day.